Hey, good morning. My name is Gavin. I'm a pastor here at the church. Good to see you guys. And uh, to worship God with you, I'd invite you to open your Bibles now. We're going to worship God together now by hearing him speak through his word. We've got 22 verses in the Bible. We're going to read, study, and apply this morning. Going to hit it in three points. And uh, so get your Bibles open. We've got some work to do. Amen. As you turn in your Bibles, I said that because none of you are turning in your Bibles, you know. There's a, there's a phone app you can get. I'm just trying to make it easy for you, but uh, let's get our Bibles open. Hey, as you, as you do that, let me say happy Mother's Day to the moms. I know Dougie already said it, but those of you who are moms, we just want to celebrate, uh, give thanks for you. You've got a hard job, and we appreciate you. I want to say happy Mother's Day to the mother of my three kids, my lovely wife, Sarah. And uh, I want to brag on my wife, Sarah, for just a second. And this is going to segue into the sermon, so... This is part of it now. I'm not just telling you how awesome my wife is, but she is awesome. And she's good at a lot of things. My wife is freakishly talented. So she's a great mom, first of all. I don't know how she does it. On my day off, sometimes she goes to the store and is gone for 45 minutes. And I pray harder in those 45 minutes than I do all week. Oh, Lord, anoint me, help me, enable me, give me patience, grace, and strength, everything you need. And my wife does it. She's a great mom. She's a great cook. One of her Spiritual gifts is hospitality, so she loves to open up our home and bring people in, make them feel loved and welcomed. She uh, has a good fashion sense. She always looks good. And she buys and sells vintage clothes on Etsy, which is super cool because she goes to like estate sales and garage sales and buys stuff for like a dollar that looks like I would use it as a grease rag to change the oil in my truck. She sells it for like 80 bucks. I don't know how she does it. It's, uh, again, the, the anointing. I don't know. Um, she beats me at Scrabble. She's a very talented human being. Very talented, but one of my wife's special gifts is uh, actually chocolate chip cookie baking. Um, I know that that didn't make the spiritual gift list in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, but I think it might be like a Holy Spirit anointed gifting in her life because her cookies, my goodness, um, on a scale of 1 to 10, there are 20. Like I'm convinced that like the Keebler Elves and Eileen and uh, Otis Spunkmeyer are probably all feeling really threatened by my wife's cookie baking skills because they are off the chain. They're off the charts. My wife is freakishly good. And so in preparation of this morning on Thursday, I was asking my wife, what, what's your secret sauce? I want to talk this morning about, about God's secret sauce, like what he puts in our lives to really work in and through us. And I, what's your secret sauce to your chocolate chip cookies? I said they're, they're chocolatey and they're sweet. And so is it like extra chocolate and extra sugar? She said, no, 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 no. It actually, and write this down, the secret sauce for my wife's cookies is actually extra vanilla and sea salt. I said, what? But it's, it's sugary and it's chocolatey. And she said, I know. But see, the vanilla helps you taste the chocolate. And the big particles of the sea salt actually bring out the sweetness in the cookie. And so the secret sauce that she puts in her delicious God-anointed chocolate chip cookies is actually salt and vanilla. And I say that to say this. This morning, I want to talk to you about what does God um, weave into our lives as he's working in our lives. Let me back that up. I didn't say it well. Let me say this. I want you to know if you're a follower of Jesus, God is always working in and through your lives at all times. God is crafting you. He's working in you. He, like a great chef in your life, always has his hands involved and he's intentional in everything. We call this God's sovereignty. And he's, he's doing things in our lives to work in us and to work through us. And his goal in working in us isn't to make us good chocolate chip cookies. It's actually Christ-likeness. 
God is, is shaping you, using the, the, the events in your life, the good things, bad things, everything else, to, to make you be more like Jesus. And he's also working through you because he's on a mission that the whole world would know about Jesus and place their faith in him. He is the one way to salvation we read in Scripture this morning. So he's working through you to love, serve, bless other people that they might know the love of Jesus. And the question is, what are the things that he uses? What, what, what is the secret sauce? What are some of the things that, that we're going to see in Acts chapter 4 this morning that God throws in that are oftentimes overlooked and unlikely? Oftentimes overlooked and unlikely. And, and, and I want to preach this sermon this morning. I think it's important because I think sometimes in our lives we, we might see the secret sauce. I remember times watching my wife bake cookies and she's dumping the salt in. I'm thinking, oh, baby, you're killing it. Don't, 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 right? We like, don't use that. That's not, and I think sometimes we can see things come into our lives and think, what is God doing? Don't, that can't be good. But, but I want us to see the sovereign hand of God and how he moves in our lives to work all things together for our good and our sanctification and our Christ-likeness and his mission in the world. And so we're going to take a look at some unlikely ingredients in God's secret sauce this morning in Acts chapter But let me back up to Acts chapter 3, because this is the continuation of the story uh, that I preached on last week. So if you weren't here, let me give you the cliff notes. Two guys named Peter and John. They're Christians. Uh, Part of the early church. Uh, Prior to this, Jesus, the Son of God, came, lived without sin, died sacrificially, rose victoriously to give salvation. Uh, He then ascended into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit Um, God himself that lives and resides in the hearts and minds of his people uh, to empower us for ministry. And and so Peter and John are some of these early Christians. Acts chapter 3, we're seeing how the Holy Spirit used them to be witnesses for uh, Jesus right there in Jerusalem, where they were geographically at the time. And the occasion that we witnessed last week was the healing of this lame man. So remember, Peter and John were on their way to the temple, and there was a a beggar who had been lame from birth, and he was sitting at the temple gate. And and Peter and John said, hey, we don't got no money, but what we do have, uh, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk, and they healed the man. It was an absolute miracle. Then remember, the miracle gave way for the message where they preached the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. They exalted Jesus, said he is the way. And on that day, 2,000 people gave their lives to Christ and became Christians. And what we're going to read today in chapter 4 is the aftermath of that. that. We saw the miracle. We saw the message. Now what happens? What's chapter 2? How is God going to continue to work in and through Peter and John? So... Peter, by the aid of Jesus, did the miracle and gave the message. Is, is God, since he killed the sermon, is he going to give him like a Learjet and line him up with a speaking tour? Maybe Peter's going to develop an app and a website and get a book deal, right? And, and kind of go that route. How is God going to leverage this moment to continue to work in and through the lives of his people? Well, let me throw, show you three likely ingredients that he, unlikely ingredients that he uses in the life of Peter and John and that he uses in our lives as well today. Number one is this. First ingredient in God's secret sauce is often suffering and trials. Suffering and trials. I didn't hear any amens or hallelujahs. (laughs) Honey, I thought this wife was, or I thought this church was encouraging, right? Why do these people keep coming back? Suffering and trials. No hallelujahs, no amens. Yeah, exactly. We don't like suffering and trials. It's okay. You don't need to fake it. Um, uh, I think we naturally want um, um, prosperity and blessing. And, and let, me, let me say this. God does that too, okay? 
On Wednesday night at prayer, we reflected on, on a verse that says, God loves to give good gifts to his children, and he does. And life with Jesus is the best life. And, and life with Jesus is the blessed life, but it doesn't always come without suffering and trial. And what we're going to see in our text this morning is that, that God hasn't disappeared when we go through suffering and trial. It's actually often in the suffering and trial where we see God show up the most. It's through the suffering and the trial, and what we're going to see is the persecution where God is most at work in and through the lives of his people. In fact, as we read through the book of Acts, what we're going to see is that the gospel advances, but it does so into the strong headwinds of persecution and trial. But that persecution, suffering, and trial is not an obstacle to God. It actually becomes one of the primary things God uses to work in the lives of his people and through them to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. Okay, so let's get into our text, Suffering and Trials. Where do we see this showing up in our text? Remember, Peter and John just healed the dude. Things are going well. Um, preached a sermon and killed it. Are they going to get a parade? Are they going to get a building named after them? Let me show you chapter 4, verse 1. Here's how it gets started. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple uh, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. I want you to think about what Peter and John might be thinking about in this moment. Um, like, on a scale of, like, fail to win, what are they likely feeling in this moment? <laughs> fail, right? Right? Um, they're probably not in their jail cell in an orange jumpsuit taking selfies and texting it out, hashtag winning, right? This doesn't feel like a win. This doesn't feel like success. But City Light, what I want you to see and what I want you to know is that success doesn't always look like success. And there are times in your life where it might feel like a failure, but it's not a failure, Oftentimes, it's God working through the struggle, the trial, and the persecution, the failure um, to work in and through your lives. Uh, um, picture this. Um, they've just been thrown in jail. Um, and it says in verse 3 that they were arrested in the evening. And, and the problem with that was the, the Sanhedrin, this Jewish high court that would, that would oversee their case, doesn't meet until the morning. So Peter and John are spending the night in jail, not knowing what the next day brings. But keep in mind, this Sanhedrin, this Jewish high court, was the same court that just months earlier had arrested Jesus. They had falsely accused him, gave him a bogus trial that was a complete scam, and then murdered an innocent man on the cross. And this was their Lord. And now they're spending the night in the same jail cell, wondering what fate awaits me tomorrow. They're thinking, wow, this Jesus thing isn't so fun. Like the healing, that was fun. The preaching, that was fantastic. But, but God, where are you now in the suffering and the trial? And we see a major um, turn in the book of Acts where for the very first time persecution enters the scene. But what I want to show you is that God's not absent in this moment. God's not saying, oh no, what do we do now? My, my main instruments of ministry are thrown in jail. This doesn't become a, an obstacle to the mystery of God working in and through his people. It actually becomes the very thing that he primarily uses. Uh, number one, let me show you what Peter or what God starts to do through Peter. Okay, um, Let's read verse 4 now. Remember, this happened after Peter and John were thrown in jail. Verse 4 says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. 
Chapter ago, the church was 3,000 people strong. Now it's 5,000. That means 2,000 people just gave their lives to Christ and became a Christian. Good day for ministry? I would say so. I would say so. So God's still working. People are still getting saved. They're in jail. Now look at how God uses them in jail. Uh, Peter and John could uh, be bitter, resentful, angry towards God. They could say, I don't know about this Jesus guy. It's not worth it. We're in jail. But look at how they use the persecution as a platform to proclaim the name of Jesus. Look with me at verses 8 through 12. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In the midst of persecution, Peter preaches one of the best gospel sermons that's, that's ever been preached in the history of the world. This Jesus the one that you rejected, he has become the cornerstone of God's work in the world. This Jesus, he is the only name by which we must be saved. His name is Jesus. And do you remember that the ministry of the apostles, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea? Look at what they're doing. With the highest, the highest authority in Jerusalem, they are proclaiming the good news of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. God hasn't quit working through them because they're suffering in trial. That's the very place God shows up to work through them. In fact, we're going to see the theme of persecution as we teach through the book of Acts uh, together this spring and summer. And what we're going to see is that consistently God actually uses the suffering, the trials, the hard spots... The persecution is the very place uh, that he does his ministry through his people. In Acts chapter 8, we're going to see um, it was because of persecution. The opponents of God and the gospel tried to stomp out this Christian movement, and like embers shooting everywhere, a wildfire um, took place. The gospel left Jerusalem, went into Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth, because it's the tight places. It's often uh, uh, the persecution, the suffering, and the trial where God uses us the most. Uh, second, I, I want you to see God like, uh, like an artist, like a, like a cook, like, like a loving father um, is very carefully crafting his children in this scene. Look at what's going on in Peter's own Christ-likeness, the way Peter is being changed. Okay, Peter's been a disciple since the very beginning we read about, and, and Peter's been an interesting character if you read through the Gospels. And on the night when Jesus was betrayed and crucified, do you remember what Peter was doing? Old Petey boy, what was Pete up to as Jesus was on trial? He was denying Jesus like it was his job. It says three times he denied Jesus. The gospel writers even say that one time he denied knowing Jesus to a little girl. A little girl. I love that they include that detail because that means they have the same sense of humor I do, right? <laughs> You're afraid of a little girl, right? What they were showing in that juxtaposition is the cowardness of Peter. Old Pete was a coward. He was denying Jesus to protect himself. But look what he's doing in this passage. He's exalting Jesus even at the risk of great harm and even death to himself. He had seen the resurrected Jesus, been 
filled by the Holy Spirit of Jesus and now is being sanctified to live out the ministry of Jesus. This was a very, very important scene in Peter's life because Jesus in the jail cell is building in him a perseverance and a courage and a commitment to Jesus that he's going to live out for the rest of his ministry. And we're going to see that it's that same commitment that enables him on his last day to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. Even at the, at the risk of being crucified himself, he won't recant the name of Jesus because it was through the suffering and through the trial that Jesus was working through Peter and in Peter himself. City Light, at the heart of all this, I want you to see is that, uh, that success doesn't always look like success. And that sometimes the greatest thing God is doing in you and through you isn't just through the, hey, we launched a group and 200 people showed up. Hey, I did a Bible study and led my friend to the Lord. It might actually be through the suffering and through the trials that God is most at work in you. Can I encourage the moms in here for a second? Um, I know motherhood is awesome, but I also know being the husband to the mother of three little kids, it's one of the hardest jobs in the world. And let me just say, I realize some of your days actually feel like persecution. (laughs) These little people are everywhere, and they don't leave me alone, and it feels like a trial. Can we just say that? Motherhood is such an amazing blessing. Don't hear me wrong, but it's a trial. It's one of the hardest things you will ever have to do. And I just want to say that some of your days might not feel like success. It might feel like a loss. There's new crayon on the walls. The kids are crying. It's 2 p.m. and you haven't showered. It doesn't feel like hashtag winning, tiger blood. It feels like major loss, major failure. And can I just say, moms on this Mother's Day, I want to encourage you and say, you're probably doing a much better job raising your kids than you think you are. They're just not telling you yet because they're kids. (laughs) But it's through that trial that God is actually shaping your heart, teaching you humility, dependence, building in you some endurance and strength that you're going to use for the rest of your life. It's, it's through the season of trial um, that God's using you in your kids' lives to show you the tender, loving heart of God that they can only get through a mother in their lives. It's through the trial that God is working in you, and it's through the trial that God is working through you. And so for all of us, let me ask you, I, I want you to bring to the forefront of your mind now, what are the trials, what are the sufferings, what are, maybe you're even being persecuted for your faith, what are the hard spots in life right now, or the things that have been there in the past? Um, I don't want to overlook the significance or weight of those things, I'm not saying just ducky for you, God's going to use it for good, but I also want to be faithful to this text and say, have you considered that it's possible that that's the very place where God is working in you the most? and even working through you the most. Is it possible that God is using your unemployment, your underemployment, to teach you dependence on him and a new level of humility? Is is it possible that God is using your family drama to actually give you an empathy towards other people who have gone through similar things? Is it possible that even your sickness, that you're still praying for God to heal you from, is maybe the very place that he's deepening your prayer life and your dependence your longing for heaven and your longing for healing that he is about to give to you. What I'm saying is what feels like failure isn't always failure, right? Your divorce doesn't disqualify you from ministry, okay? The fact that you have some wayward kids doesn't limit you from investing in other young people in our church and around your life. Sometimes what looks like a failure is actually the place God wants to work in your heart and wants to look, work through you. So the unlikely ingredient, number one, is we see God show up in our suffering and our trials. Second ingredient I want to show you in this text is this. 
God loves to work in and through his people in the places of limitations and weaknesses. Our limitations and weaknesses. Honey, this sermon ain't getting any better the longer he goes on. <laughs> yes, God loves to use our strengths. The Bible gives us or tells us that God gives us spiritual gifts. It's okay. He makes us good at things, and God helps us with the things that we're good at. But did you know God also oftentimes loves to use our weaknesses and our limitations? What I'm, I guess I'm trying to say is that sometimes we think that if I had this, then God could use me, right? That, that if I weren't limited in this way, if I wasn't weak in this area, then God would be able to use me. If I had more money, then I could be more generous and I could bless more people and I could serve the local church. If I was a more eloquent speaker, if I was better versed, if I was more well-read, then God could use me as a weakness. If I, if I, if I, then I, then I, then I. If I, if I, if I, then God, then God, then God, those limitations. But let me ask you, whoever said your limitations are God's limitations? What if your limitations are the very place God loves to show up and work through you? I want to show you two scenes from our text with Peter and John. Number one, let me remind you how this whole scene got started that ended up uh, leading to a message where 2,000 people became Christians and the church was grown and and empowered. How did this whole scene get started? Let me show you chapter 3, verse 6. It says this, but Peter, this is the, the, the lame beggar at the temple gate, it says, but Peter said to him, I have no silver and gold. It's a limitation. He's saying, I'm going to show you what I don't have. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I want you to see that if Peter had what he thought he needed, he never would have seen what he didn't know he had. It was a limitation, the fact that they didn't have no money that gave opportunity for a demonstration for the power of God. If they had had what they thought they needed, they might not have seen God do what God did that that moved this ministry along like it had. And so what I'm saying is maybe your inability is the very place that God wants to demonstrate his ability. What if your greatest place of insecurity in life was the very place God wanted to work through you and work in you? The parts of your story that you want to hide, the parts of your story that you think you're no good at, the things that you're embarrassed about. What are the, if those limitations actually aren't God's limitations, but are like a lever that God wants to use you in ministry and to grow you in Christ-likeness. Let me show you one more um, example from the text. Fast forward now, chapter 4, verse 13. Love this, love this verse. This whole thing got started because of a limitation, and now we're going to see that their greatest witness was actually their weakness. It says, and then they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were what? Ivy League educated, extraordinarily gifted men. Oh, it doesn't say that. Hold on. Let me... Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. The very fact that they were plain and ordinary was the very thing that made the scene so astonishing. They were ordinary men, absolutely ordinary. It's our flaws, our imperfections, and our limitations. These things aren't barriers for God to work. These might be the very places God wants to work most in our lives. Let me say, there's things in your life that you missed out on. There's some things in your life that you feel insecure about. There's some things you feel like you aren't very good at. You stutter when you speak. You're horrible at school. You have bad social skills. You have bad breath. You, I, I don't know what it is. But what I'm saying is those aren't limitations to God. Let let me talk about our boy, Pastor Chris, for just a second. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love that they all think I'm going to slam you. You're going to regret your awe and laugh in just a because I want to brag on Chris for a second. I know, I know, I know. It's amazing. So, yes, I could beat him in arm wrestling. We'll still talk about that. But, but um, I asked Chris if I could share this story. He normally doesn't flaunt it, but he said, that's fine. If, it, if it's helpful to what you're trying to say, man, if it'll bless people, give them some courage, use it. Um, so Chris grew up without a dad. To be real candid, he's the product of a one-night stand. Mom at a summer camp, met a dude, here comes Chris. And dad actually left the state. He bailed before Chris was ever born. So Chris is 31, never met his dad to this day, never seen him face-to-face. And so Chris grew up struggling, single mom home, no other kids, and, and things were rough for Chris. And just to be real honest, um, and, and I, I think we all know that the presence of a stable mom and dad in the household is one of the most important things for the development of, of, a, of a healthy child, right? We, we need to hear that affirmation of a father. You're valuable. I love you. I support you. I'm proud of you. Chris didn't get that. No birthday cards, no birthday presents. Um, mom, you know, struggled financially, just grinding it out as a single mom. So he's on the basketball court. The other kids, moms and dads, are cheering on their boys. You're doing great, buddy. He looks up in the stands. No one. And so he grew up with what could have been a real weakness in his life, a real great source of insecurity. He could have been an insecure man looking for the affirmation and approval in a thousand other places. But what I love about the story that God has written in Chris's life is the way that when he became a Christian in college, one of the first things he identified with in the love of God is how God was his father. And so what was really a place of insecurity and weakness became an opportunity for him to experience the heart of God in a way that maybe I never will. For God to fill that void as his affirmer, as his encourager, as the one to be the father in his life. And so God works through him in an area that could have been a weakness or a limitation. But additionally, God has continued to work through Pastor Chris in that area. And so one of the things that um, just being one of his best friends, and we run pretty close, is I notice he, he has this eye and sensitivity towards kids that don't have dads in the picture. And so needs that I would probably overlook, he's just really attuned to. And he loves to put himself in the lives of these young people and just be a voice of like, hey, you're doing great. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be in your life. I'm going to encourage you. And so um, this last Friday, Chris and I were going to go to a conference together. It was called Big Omaha. Super cool event. And uh, the tickets are way more expensive than we could afford. But someone blessed us. And we got free tickets to this really cool conference. And and people fly in from all over the world. World World-class event. World-class speaker. World-class people that you're hobnobbing with. It's a super fun event about entrepreneurs and startups and creatives. And, and uh, so we're all excited to go hobnob at this cool event. And so Friday morning, we have our early morning meeting so that we can get down to uh, big Omaha on time together. And it was time to leave. And Chris said, no, I actually can't. I can't go to the morning session, um, but I'll catch up with you this afternoon. And I thought, dude, we've been waiting for this for a year. This is big Omaha. Let's get to big Omaha. And he said, no, it's Troy's, it's, it's Troy's track meet. And uh, I need to be there. Mom's got to work. And Troy is a a nine-year-old awesome kid in our church family. Uh, Dad's not in the picture. Um, It's Chris. When Chris was nine, just grinding it out, single mom. And and Chris said, no, I need to be there. Mom's got to work. And that kid needs someone in the stands saying, hey, man, you're doing great. And so while I was sipping lattes with rich people being awesome, (laughs) Chris... Chris is in the bleachers rooting on Troy. Troy, you are awesome. You are great. You're killing it, dude. Go for it. And I love that because what could have been, you know, a a limiting factor in Chris's life actually became one of the coolest places of ministry 
An area that he could have been insecure about became the very place that God showed up and worked in his life and now was working through his life to bless little dudes like Troy. That's awesome. And so what I'm saying to you is there are parts of your story that, that you feel insecure about. You're embarrassed about them. You feel like that was a mess up. Uh, you feel limited. You feel weak. You didn't come to the right family. You don't have the right education. You don't have the right gifting. And I just want to say those limitations and weaknesses might be the very place that God wants to most work in and through your life. One of the cultures I just want to foster in City Light is a culture of transparency, where we don't lead with I'm awesome, right? Here's my resume and what I'm good about or good at. What if we led with a culture of weakness? Man, here's my story, even the dark spots. Here's how God has redeemed that brokenness. Here's how God has met that need. Here's how God has empowered me where I have been weak. Your places of weakness, your places of limitations are the very place God wants to show up and work in you and work through you. I want to show you the last ingredient. It gets better. Honey, here he goes. The better point. Point number three, the, the last ingredient in God's special sauce is very simple. I don't know how else to say it. It, it. It's proximity to Jesus and prayer. Proximity and prayer. You know, without a relationship with God, this whole talk about our weaknesses and our struggles and our trials, well, they're just weaknesses, struggles, and trials. <laughs> but when you walk close with Jesus, that's when your greatest weakness becomes your greatest strength. That's when 1 Corinthians 12 becomes true, that God chooses the weak things of this world to shame that which is strong. God uses the foolish things to shame the the wise things in this world. It's only in relationship with Jesus, in a close walk with Jesus, that God enables us to change our story, that our weakness would become our greatest strength. Uh, I want you to look at verse 13 again, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Chapter 4, verse 13, it says, And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Here we go. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love that. City Light, I want this to be the legacy of my life. I hope my kids someday will say dad was super ordinary and just regular, but dad had been with Jesus. Dad loved Jesus. Dad was changed by Jesus. Dad was transformed by Jesus. And as we trust God to work in our church, man, that is our, my prayer for us. That our legacy reputation that people would think of City Light and say they're kind of plain and ordinary. I've got no fancy laser beams. They're kind of in a weird part of the city. They're just, they're just ordinary people, but I can't deny they have been with Jesus. They commune with Jesus. They have been changed by Jesus, and I want that for you. Would you do battle to find time to be with Jesus? Um, I don't know how to spin it or make it sexy, cool, or avant-garde, or a way you've never thought about it. I just want to say it very plainly. City Light, we have to be people of the book. We have to get our noses in the ink every day. We need to set aside time to pray and be with Jesus. There is no shortcut. You might be thinking, well, well, preacher, that's great that they were recognized that they had been with Jesus, but they literally had been physically with Jesus, and so that's probably what they're talking about. I don't don't think it was just that. Because as we read through the book of Acts, we actually see this pattern in the people of God that they consistently come back to be with Jesus in prayer, even after he ascended. So think back to Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes, what's the first thing they do? They get together, they eat food, 
That's important. It's biblical. Amen. Hallelujah. Ribs. Uh, Number two, they put their nose in the books. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. They spent time with Jesus. Even this morning in Acts chapter 4, we didn't read this far, but if you go down to verse 24, it says the very first thing that that Peter and John did after they got out of jail, they went back to their church family, and it said they cried out to God and they prayed. Sovereign Lord. They spent time with Jesus. One of the myths I used to believe was that with time as a Christian, I would just mature and become more like Jesus. That my sin struggles, so I'll just grow out of them. That uh, my heart for God, it'll just grow naturally. That my love and ministry for other people, well, I'll just start to care more because I'll get older. But you know what I learned? That doesn't come with time. That comes with time with Jesus. And there is no shortcut. You know what time guarantees us? The only thing time guarantees us? Time guarantees us that we're going to get old. That's it. You know what you get with time? Old. We're all going to get old. In 10 years, we're all going to be 10 years older. But time with Jesus is what grows us spiritually, and there is no shortcut to that. Time spent in the book, hearing from Jesus, time spent in prayer, listening to Jesus, speaking to Jesus, being with Jesus, proximity and prayer, being with Jesus. And uh, you know what that's going to do? It's going to astonish the world. I think our greatest ministry at City Light Church is, is not going to be some new avant-garde program, some new cool, slick program, some new... The most astonishing thing to the world will be if, if we commit, by God's grace, to being people who spend time with Jesus. Because I feel like, just like Peter and John, they're going to be astonished. You do what? Yeah, I spend time with Jesus every day. How'd you get like that? I spend time with Jesus. Astonishing. This will be our greatest ministry. God's secret sauce, he's always working in your life. Pay attention to where you're suffering and where you're going through trial. Pay attention to where you feel weak and limited. Pay attention to when you're spending time with Jesus because those are the places that God wants to work in you and through you. But let me close with this. It really is all about Jesus. I know I say that a lot, but, but let me sum it up this way. The, the reason God can use us in our suffering and in our trials is because God became a person, Jesus, and he went through a trial and he suffered on our behalf on the cross. He took on our suffering, the guilt and shame of our sin, and paid for it on a cross so that in our suffering, uh, we could actually find strength in God. God can use us in our limitations and in our weakness because God, he who is strong, became a man and voluntarily limited himself to human form so that on a cross, he could demonstrate what looked like weakness, a frail, grown man at the hands of powerful men being crucified. It looked like a picture of weakness in a world of power, but it was the most powerful thing the world has ever seen. The salvation of our souls paid for by the God-man Jesus Christ. And the invitation is that we would have proximity and prayer to be with no Jesus. Number one, that happens by becoming a Christian. That doesn't happen accidentally. I know I gave the invitation last week, but I want to do it every week that it's in the text. I just want to ask you, have you become a Christian? Have you given your life to Christ? Have you turned from your sins and received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Look at verse 12 one more time. 
It says there is salvation in no one else. He is the only way. There is no other route to reincarnation or nirvana or enlightenment or eternal living or paradise. There is no other way to salvation. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among, uh, given among men by which we must be saved. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he is the only way, the only way to God the Father. Jesus lived without sin, died sacrificially, rose victoriously so that you could be in proximity to God through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. If you have not become a Christian, the invitation this morning, the only thing I want you to hear is give your life to Christ. Bow your knee to King Jesus. Ask him to forgive your sins and come into your life. I would invite you to do that this morning. Um, At the very end of the service, we're going to have some prayer team in the very back. I'll go back. We would love to pray with you, help you walk through that decision even this morning. Uh, But don't go another day. If God's calling your name, don't harden your heart. And then for all of us, the way I want us to respond uh, to this truth this morning is through the taking of communion. What a gift. We do it frequently at City Light, but what a gift. It's through communion that we remember this whole proximity with God thing was actually initiated by him. We were the ones who were far off, but he came near, running after us, sinners and rebels and religious idiots, and called us back to himself by grace. And it's in communion, the the bread and the juice that represent the body and the blood of Jesus, that we remember the love of God, that he came and he literally on a cross, his body was broken for us. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And then he gave us this gift of communion. First Corinthians, he says, hey, as often as you're together, do this in remembrance of me, because I don't want you to forget. I don't want you to forget the tangible love of God that was demonstrated through the personal work of Jesus. So this morning, would you remember the love of God, that in your suffering and in your trials, God hasn't abandoned you. He's still near to you, and in fact, that might be the very place where you're going to see him at work the most. In your limitations and your weaknesses, it might be there that you find the most strength that you will ever find in your life, because it's there that God loves to meet you and minister to you. And so uh, I'm going to pray. The communion servers, you guys can go ahead and come on up. If you're new to City Light, the band's going to play. We're going to respond in worship. You come forward for communion anytime you're ready. Um, there will be servers in the front, servers in the back. If you have any food allergies, gluten stuff, you've got a special area um, by the library. And uh, just come as you are. Let's pray together. Jesus, um, in this world, it tells us to hide our suffering, to hide our weakness, to brag on our strengths, to ignore our weaknesses. Um, But we are so thankful, God, that you do the opposite. You allow us to to tell our story, to celebrate our story, to uncover the dark and hidden places because we know that it's there, that you love to minister to our own hearts and remind us of your love. You draw near to us not because we're lovable, but because you're loving. It's our weaknesses that you love to demonstrate your strength in. And, oh, God, would that be our heart at City Light? We'd say, Jesus is the strong one. Jesus is the Savior. I am weak, I am limited, but he is mighty. And he does great things in my life and through me. God, I pray that Acts 4.12 would be the legacy of our church. Regular, ordinary people who have been with Jesus. God, help us to feel and experience your presence now as we remember you uh, through the sacrament of communion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.